0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony today. He is out on a two-week vacation with his family, so it's my pleasure to be with you. I want to remind you that the show can be found at TonyPerkins.com. We also send you there for resources, and as they become available during the show, TonyPerkins.com, again, is the website. Uh, Washington, D.C. has slowed down a little bit. Uh, They have left the building, it seems. The Senate passed its infrastructure bill, and they are gone. The House is also gone. So in theory, Washington, D.C. is a little quieter. But that does not mean there's a shortage of things to talk about. Today on the program, the Louisiana Attorney General has a new initiative to push back against big tech censorship and find out just how widespread it is. We're going to talk to him a little bit later today. In addition, the American Principles Project is also concerned about big tech censorship, and they have something that you can do to push back. What is their new initiative? We'll talk about that as well. And finally, One side says that it's child abuse to prevent a child from living authentically as the gender of their choice. But the other side says that it's child abuse to permanently harm a child's body in an attempt to resolve their mental distress. Who is right? Dr. Quentin Van Meter will join us to answer this question. He has over 40 years of dealing with transgender issues. But first, it's been just a little over a week since New York City announced its vaccine passport initiative, which will go into effect starting next week. And local officials elsewhere are looking into similar mandates. Yesterday the Los Angeles City Council voted to direct city attorneys to draft a law requiring people to have at least one dose of a COVID vaccine before going into restaurants, bars, gyms, shops, movie theaters, and other venues. And just a couple hours ago, San Francisco's mayor announced her city's vaccination mandate, which will take effect August 20th. Also, on Tuesday, D.C.'s mayor expressed her support for businesses requiring proof of vaccination, but noted that a policy like New York City's would not be effective if it was only implemented in D.C. alone. And on the heels of those remarks, a local official in nearby Montgomery County, Maryland, said officials in the region were in discussion about this.
1: Having discussions with other regional leaders, and I support the development of a regional or statewide vaccination passport, it wouldn't do us any good just to do it in one county. But if the regional leaders are interested, and I know some of them might be, um, doing this together as a collective action would help make all of our residents safer.
0: Could vaccine passports be coming to the D.C. area and a city near you? With me now to talk about this and more is U.S. Representative James Comer. He's the ranking member on the House Oversight Committee, and he serves the 1st Congressional District in the great state of Kentucky. Congressman Comer, welcome back to the program.
2: It's great to be back.
0: Well, tell me first, what's your reaction to these cities implementing or taking steps toward vaccine passports?
2: Well, I'm opposed to pac- vaccine passports in general. But when you talk about Washington, D.C., there are lots of uh, unintended consequences that the local leaders don't think about or don't care about. First of all, is that Washington, D.C. is our nation's capital. That would uh, Are they going to require any uh, lawful citizen in America who wants to come petition the government uh, to have a vaccine passport? That's a, that's a serious serious question that needs to be answered, and if, if they did, then that's violating the Constitution because the great thing about the United States of America is any citizen has the right to go and meet with their representative or senator and petition their government. So uh, this is another burdensome regulation that's unnecessary. It's another left-wing Uh, Christmas wish list item that the the liberals in Washington, the socialists in Washington are trying to do. I don't think it's constitutional. I don't think it makes any sense. The science doesn't uh, back up a lot of what they're trying to do. And I just am am totally opposed to it because I think that uh, in Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, it needs to be open to every law-abiding citizen.
0: When Mayor de Blasio in New York City announced their passport last week, he indicated that he thought many cities would follow. And so far, it doesn't look like it's many. It's only a handful, some of the uh, usual suspects, I suppose. We've seen right. Los Angeles take steps in San Francisco, move in that direction. Are you encouraged that so few cities have moved this direction?
2: I am encouraged, and as you said, it's the usual suspects that uh, – you know, no matter how liberal the idea, the same cities always embrace those liberal left-wing ideas with open arms. Uh, what we've got to look at in America, if if you're truly concerned about the low number of people that have been vaccinated for COVID, when you have liberal leaders trying to mandate vaccinations and you have uh, liberal leaders trying to require uh, regional vaccine passports and, and require wearing masks outdoors and, you know, ridiculous regulations that, uh, that aren't backed up by science, then you're only going to create more skepticism among the, the public who, you know, are truly uh, torn between whether or not to be vaccinated and especially whether or not to have their children vaccinated. So I think the, the liberals, as they always do, are creating more harm than good uh, with our nation's health.
0: Now, you mentioned the civil liberties concerns associated with the vaccine passports. In your mind, is there would there ever be a situation where a pandemic was so severe that it would justify this sort of government oversight or intervention? Or, in all cases, regardless of how severe the pandemic is or is not perceived to be, uh, is it always inappropriate?
2: You know, I've, I've thought about that a lot, and I remember when President Trump first did the travel ban. Uh, a lot of liberals had a problem with that. Now, you know, now that Trump's not in office, they they would would support things like that. If if the pandemic is so severe and the death rate is an excessive death rate, and it's not just affecting certain segments of the population, mainly uh, those people with preexisting conditions, then I think that you know the government would have to consider drastic measures. But the, the, the death rate, uh, the, the hospitalization rate, the, the numbers are pretty clear as to uh, what uh, demographic that COVID-19 is affecting. For example, uh, you've got in, in Kentucky right now, our liberal Democrat governor has mandated that every child wear a mask in school. Uh, even though Kentucky's a state that believes in local control, especially with respect to education. The the science and the, the data on children that have been adversely affected by, by COVID-19 is a, a, a decimal percentage of, of, of one-tenth of a one percent. So you, you've got a situation where these liberals continue to uh, overreact and I I think that if you look at COVID-19, it's very serious. I'm not uh, undermining the the severity of COVID-19 one bit, but I think we've learned now, whereas we didn't know a lot about it in the beginning, I think we've learned the demographics of the the population that needs to be most concerned. Obviously, when you're talking about a mask, certainly you should have masks in in hospitals and in nursing homes and things like that, but uh, these vaccine passports, that's an overreach. There's no data or science that suggests that this is necessary or even close to being necessary. I think that it's a an individual's decision. I think that uh, there's still some. I've been vaccinated. I've, I'm very uh, transparent with that. But you know, there's a there's a lot of people that call me and ask, well, what should I do? My, my my wife's pregnant, or I have a young child, and and honestly, we don't have enough data. I don't. I haven't read enough data to be able to give someone. Uh, you know, what I would consider credible advice on it. So, this is a decision that people have to make in consultation with their doctors, but certainly having liberal uh, government leaders that want gun control, that want abortion on demand, that want uh, boys to be able to play girl sports in, in this transgender movement. Uh, you know, them making decisions that affect uh, affect law-abiding citizens is not something that's going help to the, help the cause, in my opinion.
0: I will say I agree with you that I have difficulty taking medical advice from people who have difficulty uh, distinguishing between men and women. And that's kind of the yeah, situation a we point. find ourselves in right now. But I, I want to – another layer of this is – is the uh, requirements that the Biden administration has put on federal employees as well as the military now. And on Tuesday's broadcast of uh, Fox News Channel's Your World, Pentagon press secretary John Kirby, he said that soldiers who have religious religious exemption objections, excuse me, to them their vaccine mandate for mil- service members can go through a process and get religious exemptions. Here's what he said about that.
3: Well, a, a
0: member of the military who uh, wants to claim a religious exemption can certainly do that. There's a process for that. Uh, it's not, a, you know, it's not a blanket check. I mean, you've got uh, you've got to go through a process to get that approved. Uh, troops uh, who have pre existing medical conditions or on the vice of their physician might not have to take uh, the vaccine. But if you're just objecting because you're objecting, once it's become mandatory, that's a lawful order. Uh, and our expectation is that you're going to obey that order. His position with respect to members of the military seems to be more strict than his position is for those coming into the country illegally at the southern right. border. That's, do you think that's a fair that's, assessment and do you think that's a problem?
2: That's a fair assessment and it's a huge problem. I mean, What I've seen out of the Biden administration in the first eight months in office and it's exactly what I see out of the overwhelming majority of the left-wing members of Congress in the, in the Democrat Party, they support... Everyone's civil liberties and everyone's liberties except those people of faith. And it, it's just really discouraging to see uh, the administration want to mandate to our military, to our school children, to every law-abiding citizen, healthcare care workers, everyone else that you have to be vaccinated. But, oh, it's okay if you're an illegal and you come across the border and you haven't been vaccinated for anything – much less COVID-19 that you can come across and uh, everything will be fine. In fact, in our uh, budget reconciliation bill, we're going to go ahead and give you amnesty here. So the the priorities of the Biden administration are are so warped. It's just really frustrating to be a a conservative member of Congress right now because – You know, in the House of Representatives, we're doing everything we can to try to fight for people's religious liberties. We're trying to fight for the taxpayers. We're trying to fight for common sense. And it's just we're coming up five votes short on everything, it seems like.
0: Well, I think most Americans would would agree that treating our service members more skeptically than people who are not citizens who have just broken into the country uh, is on its face a problem. But you have joined uh, Republican members of the House Oversight Committee demanding a field hearing in in New Mexico to talk about what's going on at the border. We have about just one minute left. But what are you trying to accomplish there?
2: Well, unlike Kamala Harris, the Republican members of the Oversight Committee, we've all been to New Mexico. We've met with law enforcement. We've met with local landowners. And the border situation is unbelievably bad. It's much worse than anyone would ever imagine. The administration is doing nothing to to stop the the illegal flow of aliens. And we want to have a committee hearing there to highlight exactly what's going on. Let local people, let their voices be heard and let America see what's really going on at the southern border.
0: Congressman James Comer, we really appreciate you doing it and we appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for being with us.
2: Thanks for having me on.
0: And coming up, as we transition from one form of abuse to another, there are a lot of stories of high profile conservatives being censored by big tech. But could those cases just be the tip of the iceberg? Are they censoring those of us who are not high profile as well? Two states' attorneys general want to find out. We're going to talk to one of them from Louisiana when we come back. Stay with us. When it comes
4: to reading the Bible, sometimes it can be difficult to know where to start or to understand how to apply Scripture to everyday life. There are also those passages that leave people scratching their heads, wondering what some things even mean and what they're supposed to make of it. We all know that Scripture is divinely inspired and given by God, and it's useful to us as God uses it to prepare and equip us to do good work for His kingdom, to grow us, and to bring us closer to Him. God's Word is powerful, but it shouldn't intimidate you. That's why Family Research Council offers the Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan. It's a two-year plan that helps you read the Bible daily so you can stay grounded in God's truth, navigate our culture from a biblical worldview, and grow closer to God. This plan will help you to practice the discipline of reading Scripture every day so you can be transformed by God's Word. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org slash Bible. God is the author of life and has created man in His image. Therefore, we must respect the inherent dignity of every human life from conception until natural death. That is why Family Research Council works to pass legislation that highlights this principle, including laws that protect the unborn. To keep you informed on this issue, FRC has created online maps that illustrate progress in each state on key pro-life laws. That way, you can know if your state legislators are working to protect unborn babies. The pro-life laws FRC tracks at the state level include those addressing late-term abortions, fetal dignity, defunding abortion businesses, and providing medical care for babies born alive after an attempted abortion. See where your state stands on pro-life abortion. Check out our pro-life maps at FRC.org/pro-life-maps.
5: Most Americans believe they have a Biblical worldview, but current research shows that only 6% actually have one. This means that most of our friends and neighbors, including those who attend church, don't think about the day's moral and cultural issues through a Biblical lens. Increasingly, we see the disastrous effects of a culture that has rebelled against the truth of God's Word. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. This center is an exciting new ministry created to help Christians develop and live by a biblical worldview, to understand why scriptures must be authoritative, and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. The experts at FRC's Center for Biblical Worldview provide research and resources to help prepare believers to give a biblical answer to our culture's most pressing questions. Access the Center's free resources at frc.org slash worldview.
0: Welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony today. When a high-profile conservative is censored, demonetized, or deplatformed, we hear about it. Just two weeks ago, YouTube removed a video FRC posted that featured an interview about the vaccination of school children without parental knowledge or consent. After the video's removal started receiving media coverage, YouTube backtracked and restored the video. But many conservatives aren't so fortunate it's hard to really gauge how many are quietly being censored. Well, earlier this week, on Tuesday, the Attorneys General of Alabama and Louisiana launched an initiative to find out how far-reaching this censorship on social media platforms is. And here with me now to talk about it is Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry. Attorney General Landry, welcome back to the program.
2: Well, thank
3: you for having me, Joe.
0: We are glad to have you. Um, first, just big picture... What's the, what's the threat that you perceive right now from social media censorship?
3: Look, I think the biggest existential threat to our republic and to freedom is actually big tech right now. I mean, with the amount of information that they are gathering and then selling and monetizing on consumers and citizens out there, the way that they are um, uh, basically censoring content, some of which we find that that content actually is the truth and they label it, as uh, fiction, such as, you know, a year ago when there were rumors abound and and people were posting evidence that the uh, COVID uh, virus uh, initiated out of a Wuhan lab and was genetically engineered, uh, which now many reports, uh, including those in what they quote as the mainstream uh, truth-finding news, uh, has, has acknowledged. That's the whole problem. The fact is the Internet was supposed to be about connecting people, allowing ideas to go back and forth, allowing for o- for honest, open discussions. Uh, and yet what we find is that big tech has really just created a one way conversation.
0: What's your response to the argument that, well, these are private companies and they have First Amendment rights and these are uh, these are private uh, in platforms and therefore they have the right to do whatever they want as private businesses. What's your response to that argument?
3: Well, look, I've always believed that they move their information uh, through the same types of networks uh, as the major telecoms who are heavily regulated. Right. Um, again, you know, all IP addresses are a 10 digit address. Those 10 digits are 10 digits because that's the same 10 digits that a phone number subscribes to. And that telecoms, telenetworks, utilize. We regulate them. We don't allow them to just uh, basically um, infringe upon uh, citizens' rights to either access what they say. Uh, they, again, they're heavily regulated. So are uh, broadcasters such as radio networks, the one we're, we're discussing right now. Again, remember that big tech, without, without that bandwidth, they don't have the ability uh, to apply their platform, and so they're not just a, a mom-and-pop shop. Uh, I think that part of the problem is they've, they've shielded themselves behind Section 230, which uh, limits their liability. So there, there are layer upon layers of problems uh, that, that arise, and they just can't wave this, this private corporate flag.
0: I, I think you make a really good point. And, and for those who are not intimately familiar with Section 230, essentially, these companies are, are immune from liability that they might otherwise be exposed to. And the government has given that them that immunity. So they really are treated differently than other, other private companies who haven't been given a specific legal immunity. But we're, we're talking to Attorney General Landry from Louisiana. And now I want to hear a little bit about the initiative that you have trying to find out how big this problem is. What are you guys doing down there?
3: Yeah, we have joined with my great friend and just outstanding Attorney General Steve Marshall from Alabama, uh, him and his staff, and together uh, at the Louisiana Department of Justice and our great staff, came up with an idea that we'd like to know, right? We know that this is occurring, but what the volume, uh, how, how frequent is the censorship occurring? What is the censorship actually, you know, who is it actually affecting? We have no way to measure that particular metric. And so we came up with an idea. We're going to try this initiative, see if we can garner and encourage people to, to basically um, report uh, the censoring to us so we can, again, try to measure that particular metric and determine what kind of legal action we may be able to take.
0: Tell me about the status of your project. I, I know you've recently announced it. Is it actually live, or is this a, a situation where people could, could report things to you now, or are we still waiting?
3: Yeah, no, my understanding is we, we've gone live. We've put out some information. People can find it there on our website at agjefflandry.com. Uh, they can go to our Facebook. They can follow us on the same social media. We're trying to make sure that we, uh, we police and, uh, and, and we can encourage people to report that information to us.
0: Now, again, that website is agjefflandry.com, but you can also go to tonyperkins.com, and we will link there to the, to the resources that he's referring to and places where you can file those, uh, those complaints. And now, um, General Landry, do you have an expectation of what you're gonna find here? Do you think that this is widespread even just among the the general public? Or do you think it's something that more likely just happens to high profile voices on the right?
3: Yeah, look, I, I think you're gonna find this not only affecting high profile people like Senator Rand Paul when YouTube took down two of his videos this week and put him in basically YouTube jail, uh, to basically the average citizen, and I think it 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 involves both you know what you would call political content as well to, as well as other content as well and that 's the problem you know Does this dive down into consumer type products and services and things that people say about different particular companies uh, does it affect you know are they censoring people who talk real well you know highly about the the the, the great benefits? Of fossil fuels um, in the the oil and gas industry and our other energy industries. We don't know. That's what we're hoping to to basically find out. It's kind of a beta test.
0: Well, we think it's an important question to ask. And uh, Attorney General Landry in Louisiana, we're so thankful that you are asking the question. And we do want to follow up with you to find out what you learned. But thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you and it is a critical critical question because the the danger to all of us, to freedom if there is a, a gatekeeper for all information that can either determine what, what is disseminated or what is not is, is a problem, whether that comes from government, whether that comes from the private sector. The free exchange of ideas is what our freedom depends upon, and we must preserve that from whatever threats, wherever those threats come from. We're actually going to continue this conversation right after the break and find out what project is going to allow you to push back against pig, big tech. We'll talk about it next. Are you
6: looking for a go-to platform where you can get relevant commentary on the cultural issues of the day from a biblical perspective? Today, it can be hard to find this in light of media censorship of conservative and Christian voices. Here at Family Research Council, we believe that every American has a right to exercise their freedom of speech and share their stories with the world. And we think it's important for you to have access to these stories. To get the facts and stories the left doesn't want you reading, head over to frc.org blog to check out our newest blog posts. We cover the issues you care about, all written by our experts in policy, government affairs, and biblical worldview. Our experts unpack the topics that other media platforms won't, like current events that affect Christians internationally, sexuality from a biblical perspective, and insights into the increasingly radical shift in American culture. To stay up to date on current news related to faith,
4: family, and freedom, go to FRC.org slash blog. We're seeing more and more cases of censorship and the canceling of many conservatives and Christians by big tech companies. To combat this, Family Research Council has chosen to be proactive before big tech tries to censor or cancel us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom, even if big tech tries to silence us. It's easy. You just sign up for the text alerts by texting STAN to 67742, and you'll get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAN to 67742, and FRC will keep you looped in on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll get information on our upcoming events and programs. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for faith, family, and freedom, and keep you connected with the like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know.
0: Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph back home sitting in for Tony today. Uh, We mentioned in the last segment how FRC was recently censored by Big Tech. And of course, we are not the latest example. Conservative podcaster Ali Beth Stuckey and conservative blogger Eric Erickson landed in Twitter jail last week after referring to New Zealand weightlifter Laurel Hubbard with male pronouns. Also last week, YouTube removed a video from Senator Rand Paul's channel that featured an interview in which he talked about the science behind masks. Here's what Senator Paul had to say on the Rumble video platform about that event. YouTube said the video violated their policy because of my comments on masks and that they don't allow videos that contradict government's guidance on COVID. YouTube may be a private entity, but they're acting like an arm of the government, censoring those who present an alternative view to the science deniers in Washington people like Dr. Fauci, who have lied to the American people time and time again about masks. It's incredible to me that they would not allow a medical doctor who is in the u.s senate from having a conversation questioning the effectiveness the effectiveness of masks yet here we are is there anything that we can do about it now joining me to talk about something this group has done is john Sweppy director of policy and government affairs at the american principles project john welcome to the program
1: Hey, thanks for having me,
0: Joseph. Hey, so glad to have you. Um, before we talk about the, the initiative, uh, we, we've highlighted some examples here. Are there any other things that have happened, examples of censorship that have really troubled you, that have caused you guys to take this step Oh,
1: absolutely. This has actually been going on for a couple of years now, but our organization, American Principles Project, uh, we had a super PAC that was running ads in, in multiple swing states, and Facebook uh, repeatedly took down our ads, uh, fact-checking them as false. One of the most notable ads was an ad that talked about how Biden wanted to uh, to have men compete in women's sports. And uh, Facebook took it down saying that it was missing context. And of course, as we know, on day one of his uh, administration, Joe Biden signed an executive order that allowed men to participate in women's sports. So, uh, you know, this is part of the problem. We have these uh, oligarchs in Silicon Valley trying to be the arbiters of truth. And that's not how America works. We we are a country where we have these arguments in the public square. We debate them. Uh, If somebody's saying something you think is false, prove it. Go, go make an argument and that's that's not what's happening now and it's very dangerous
0: now, I think you're right about that. The debate is is where we all learn. And once we get to a point where debate is no longer allowed because, quote unquote, the science is settled, um, we're in a very dangerous place. And I think the left has kind of determined that about almost every issue, that there's no longer anything to learn. And therefore, we're all done learning. And, and obviously, we shouldn't be done learning. Um, I, last segment, we talked to the attorney general from Louisiana about what he's doing down there. But those of us who are not attorneys general, or uh, otherwise elected officials, is there anything that we can do to push back?
1: Well, I think the most important thing is to encourage our elected officials in Washington and our governors in the states and our state legislatures to act to rein in big tech, however they can, you know, using all of the above approach. Um, I could bore your listeners with the various ways. I won't do that, but they should know there are multiple avenues here. You know, we have in Congress, we actually have some antitrust bills coming up for a vote, Uh, later this year and you know this is these are bills that would absolutely rein in the power of these companies so you know one of the things we've struggled with uh is a couple years ago you know republicans weren't ready to to go after these companies because they really were committed to the idea that these are private companies they can do whatever they want but i think now that we've seen how how much they're interfering with elections how much they're really censoring conservative thought, uh religious thought all sorts of different things and how huge they are and how how uh, much of an effect they have on on the public square. I think it's important that we actually do act and that Republicans are urged to act. Um, and so seeing Senator Paul you know in that clip, I think that's really an encouraging sign. Yeah.
0: Do you think these companies are ideologically driven, or can they be um, motivated by uh, the bottom line?
1: It's always a little bit of both, but I'll tell you, you know, we've seen this with woke capital. Uh, these companies are ideological and they will, um, you know, you look at things like uh, uh, the, the woke investing where they pursue, uh, you know, like trying to get rid of global warming and all that. They are, they are sacrificing profit to pursue that ideology. And I think we see it here too. Um, they're also feeling a, a lot of pushback from their from their extremely leftist employees who want to see everything uh, to the right of Mao, uh, censored from their platforms. And so, um, you know, I think it's really important that we recognize the pressure they're under and that actually state action might be appropriate here because otherwise, you know, we're not going to have a fair, sh- a fair shake on these platforms.
0: Do you think consumer act action is,
1: is even an option here? It would be ideal, but part of the problem is we had that. We had a platform called Parler that was uh, really blowing up uh, at the end of last year. I think it had 15 million users. And what we saw was these uh, uh, large companies, Amazon, Apple, Google, all collude to try to destroy this company. And they effectively did. I know Parler's back, but not near where they were before. So, you know, we have this ideological cartel in Silicon Valley that's very powerful, and it's going to be really difficult for any competitors to compete uh, under
0: the given law. We've got about 30 seconds left. Look into your crystal ball for a moment. How does this end? Well, I, you know, I am optimistic. Uh, I think
1: ultimately we, we have agreement in Washington from Republicans and Democrats that big tech is too powerful. And so, what we have to do is is get the Republicans back in there, uh, change bills like Section Two Thirty to better reflect First Amendment values, and hopefully we can go from there and and get speaking to each other again.
0: John Schweppe, American Principles Project. Thanks for your time and all you're doing. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Coming up after the break, we're going to talk about the gender debate. One side says it's child abuse to support a child's gender transition. The other side says it's child abuse not to. But what's the science say? That's the conversation we're going to have right after the break. Don't go anywhere. What
7: is
4: religious freedom and why should you care about it, both domestically and internationally? By definition, religious freedom is the freedom to hold religious beliefs of one's choice and to live according to those beliefs. At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a harrowing reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to mount in many regions of the world. God calls Christians to care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To learn more about this issue and what you can do to help, go to frc.org irf to check out Family Research Council's latest resources on international religious freedom.
5: Christians are called to seek after the Lord above all things. This means we must pray unceasingly vote our Biblical values, and boldly stand for truth. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission every Wednesday as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ to focus their attention on the Lord in every aspect of their lives. Pray, Vote, Stand will help equip you to stand for Biblical truth in the midst of a confusing time in our culture. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. This year, let's commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. To watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts, visit PrayVoteStand.org. That's PrayVoteStand.org. PrayVoteStand.org.
7: Want honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world? Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday by tuning into Washington Watch. You can listen to the show whenever it works for you. Go to TonyPerkins.com to stream episodes on demand or listen by radio through American Family and Radio Network, Bought Radio, the KTLW radio network or independent Christian radio stations across the country On the show, you'll hear from guests like Mike Pompeo Senator Marsha Blackburn Pastor Jack Hibbs Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley Sissy Graham Lynch and more Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day by tuning into Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com Again, that's TonyPerkins.com
0: Welcome back to Washington Watch. So glad that you are with us. Joseph back home, sitting in fraternity today. Yesterday, the head of the Texas Department of Family and Protective Services followed up on a request by Texas Governor Greg Abbott about the gen- genital mutilation of children. In her response, DFPS Commissioner Jamie Masters said that genital mutilation of a child for the purpose of gender transition through reassignment surgery constitutes child abuse pursuant to state law. She also noted that such procedures inflict irreversible harm to children's bodies. Meanwhile, the school board in Loudoun County, Virginia, seems to be moving the opposite direction And when yesterday they approved a policy requiring teachers to use preferred names and pronouns of their students. Is gender transition socially or medically good for kids? or isn't it? Joining me now to discuss this more is Dr. Quentin Van Meter. He's a board-certified pediatric endocrinologist at a private practice in Atlanta, Georgia. He's on the pediatric clinical faculty of both Emory University and Morehouse College's medical schools. He also has 40 years of experience dealing with transgender issues. Dr. Van Meter, welcome back to the program.
8: Thank you very much. Glad to be back.
0: Well, we need you because uh, there's so <laughs> much confusion on this, and most of us are not uh, doctors. And so, you know, let's start with Texas. Uh, what's your response to the determination there that the gender mutilation of, of children for the purpose of gender reassignment constitutes child abuse?
8: Well, anytime you mutilate perfectly healthy, normal parts of a human body, uh, in, in a child in particular uh, who cannot consent to that being done. It has to be an assent of the child and consent of the parent as, as, as since the child's a minor. You're basically taking a healthy organ system that is not diseased, that has a very specific purpose for uh, the procreation of uh, human beings in the future, a reproductive adult, uh, is to be created through puberty uh, from a prepubertal child. And to remove these organs uh, is... Is literally a mutilation of the body. There is no justification for doing so in a child. If an adult wants to make that decision about their body, uh, it's still a mutilation of a very healthy normal organ system, uh, kind of like cutting off a healthy leg because you Decided that you were not supposed to have two legs, and you wanted just one to appear like a, um, you know, a, a one-legged man or a one-legged woman. Th- that sounds, um, you know, a little odd, and certainly would bring up the question of mental health of that adult. But in a child uh, who whose brain is not, you know, not at all mature to make decisions like this, uh, for the child to request and to receive surgical removal of healthy breasts in the case of a girl, healthy penis and scrotum in the case of a boy, removal of the ovaries, uterus, and fallopian tubes in a girl is to essentially sterilize them. Uh, We are not a country that tolerates sterilization of minors.
0: You mention the fact that the age here is relevant, and in so many ways, our laws recognize that children are not mature enough to make uh, really significant decisions. Why is it that uh, children can't get a tattoo before they're 18, but we seem to be accepting the premise that they can determine that they're actually a different gender at a much earlier age?
8: well there there's no justification for that at all so gender is a social construct it's a psychological uh, uh, sort of position of one one who one feels they are uh in in terms of a uh, an appearance and and certainly not in a function however so we're taking a condition which has no biologic basis at all no 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 marker that you could ever do in any kind of testing reliably that would say uh, I have a gender which is not matching my biologic sex. Uh, so sex is binary. It's male and female. It's that way throughout biology with very, very rare circumstances uh, in nature where that does not happen. But in human beings in particular, um, it, is, it is binary. And so we are taking the concept of gender and, and making it the, the determinant of one's uh, future role in life. And not just uh, medically doing something, but actually making something irreparable and removing healthy organs. It's not something that's done in any, any other field of medicine. Uh, and it's, it makes no sense that we should accept this in children.
0: Now, gender dysphoria is the experience of your, your mind feeling misaligned with your body. Um, and, and so the way you can bring those things into alignment is you can either change your mind or you can change your body. The momentum these days seems to be very much in the direction of change your body. But does the science support that? Why is that?
8: Well, it, it's, it's hard to, to put this in perspective. We know that the vast majority, 95% of boys, 85% of girls, who go through natural puberty, who are not whose puberty is not interrupted, uh, will realign their gender identity with their biologic sex by the time they reach young adulthood. Uh, the push in in Europe uh, was to see if this could be done at an earlier age, and the re- and the result of that in the European experience was disastrous to the point where, in the countries of Sweden and England and Finland, uh, they have actually ceased. Uh, affirmation medically and surgically in minors uh, because they, they realized that after their experience, which is longer than that in the United States, that this was not of any particular additional benefit for mental health. The whole sledgehammer on this side of the, of the pond here in the yeah. United States is the, the false idea that if you do not affirm a child socially, medically, and surgically, that they will commit suicide, that their suicide rates will skyrocket compared to the rest of the, uh, the normal, normally gendered uh, congruent uh, population of patients. And the answer to that is no, that's not true. It's absolutely not true. Uh, we have data to show in longitudinal studies in, in, from Sweden that that is absolutely not the case. And because of that, because of these studies, uh, the Europe is pulling the plug on, on medical and surgical affirmation of minors. We're kind of behind the eight ball over here. We have a gigantic set of clinics in this country, some 65 plus in, in, in academic centers in the United States, which are designed specifically to be conveyor belts of children coming in, being medically and socially affirmed. Uh, the numbers in Europe are, are significantly smaller. Uh, and yet, we are going the opposite direction. We're we're not following the science. We're following the ideology and the trends uh, based on what is really not science at all.
0: I mentioned at the uh, at, at the top of the this segment. Uh, what's going on in Loudoun County, Virginia, and, and you mentioned an argument that that was referenced uh, yesterday by a teacher at a, at a school board meeting there because there's some concerns about this transgender policy that uh, that, that they have adopted. And, and some brave teachers have even come up to their, uh, allegedly their bosses, and said, hey, I have concerns about this. I want to play this clip and then give you a chance to see if you think she's on the right right track here. Let's go ahead and play that clip.
1: The truth, according to every reliable study we have, is that most children who experience gender dysphoria will stop believing uh, that they are another gender over time. Many of those children are also experiencing another mental health condition or trauma. Again, that child deserves loving support and care. The policy requiring teachers to use gender pronouns based on identity rather than sex without any substantiating evidence hurts teachers by forcing them to tell a child that they, something that they believe is not true. And it hurts children uh, by having a condition that will otherwise go away over time, prolonged through external reinforcement and repetition. That violates my faith and my commitment to love the kids entrusted
3: to my care.
0: I want to deal with the first part of that. Uh, Her understanding of what uh, first with you, her understanding of the science there. Do you think she's on the right track? Is that firm ground?
8: That is firm ground from 40 years' experience. It's been published uh, in 2011 with Dr. Kenneth Zucker's uh, experience in in Toronto. It was reaffirmed in 2020 in a follow up study uh, where these children were watched and and watchful waiting uh, was applied to them and counseling, if necessary, to cover their underlying uh, mental morbidities, which are considerable. And this is science. Uh, This is not a convenient sample. This is every patient in the Toronto experience. So unlike surveys, which are done uh, in in the transgender activist community, where they will uh, ask patients if they would like to be involved in a study. Uh, that shows they're doing well and my gosh and golly these studies inexorably show how beautiful it is and how wonderfully relieved and happy these children are but they are not scientific studies they would fail scientific uh uh, you know qualities for publication in most journals but there is a, a push to make this this stuff go forward it's a strong push uh it's supported by activist groups within professional societies such as the american academy of pediatrics who had a a chance to uh, put in a resolution which said perhaps the American Academy of Pediatrics should accept counseling as the mainstay as it is in the rest of the world and as it's recommended in the guidelines around the world should put counseling back in so that these children have a chance to get an evaluation of their undercurrent mental morbidities and not just push them to affirmation. Eighty percent of the people attending the American Academy of Pediatrics forum, which brought this to which this idea was presented, agreed with that. But the leadership of the American Academy of Pediatrics said, no, we don't agree with that. This shall not be a resolution we take on. Um, and that is, that is against the, the majority membership of the academy. Some 67,000 members are represented in this forum. And their representatives wanted this, you know, mental assessment and treatment to be reinstated as the mainstay. And it it was essentially the majority wanted that, and the leadership just said arbitrarily no. We've seen
0: a lot of examples of the scientists who don't seem to be that interested in in science. And if the the conversation or even the questions are ones that they're bothered by, they seem to be shutting that down. I want to get to that in a second. But to the um, gender clinics, uh, transition clinics are popping up all over the country. And they're, of course, run by doctors, presumably, who would have a different uh, take on the science than the one you're giving us are they simply relying on these self-reported studies that, to, to justify the, this new industry that is popping up around the country?
8: Absolutely. It's very convenient that the studies are done uh, and, and published by the same individuals who run the clinics who are the advocate side. And they will not dialogue with anybody in the, in the rest of the, of the endocrine community who has a contrary opinion. Everything is shut down. It's very difficult to get things published. Uh, people in academia who would who are in, in concert with the idea that. Uh, watchful waiting and counseling is the world's best response to a child with gender dysphoria, they are essentially threatened with loss of of employment and loss of publication in the future. So it's a a really dog-eat-dog world where, you know, if you are contrary in opinion, much like other things that are going on in the world today, uh, you have big tech and, uh, you know, it will shut you down and you can't can't present. Uh, Your ideas are called contrary and misinformation, um, and you are basically shoved aside while uh, trying to really speak and open up and, and get some you know information out to the world that's real science.
0: There really does seem to be a theme here. Now, you mentioned earlier how differently the issue is being treated in Europe right now where the medical community seems to have pivoted a bit based on the results of their of their uh, research and experience but we're not seeing that necessarily in the states Within the medical community, is there a divide within those who are not like public um, or are they are they simply are those who object to the direction that things seems to be headed? Are they just keeping their mouth shut or is there a sincere debate within the medical community about whether or not this is actually good for kids?
8: There is no debate, OK, because when we on our side of the issue, the side that the rest of the world has, has come to believe and which has been proven in publications uh, and experience over the past 40 years, when we request a forum, an opportunity to have a, a, an open conversation in front of our colleagues, uh, we are not allowed to do so. Um, I have uh, proposed for the past five years that the major medical uh, endocrine com- conferences in the United States have such a forum. I have you know, written to the meeting planners uh, most recently, I wrote an, uh, an email to the meeting planner for the Pediatric Endocrine Society upcoming meeting next spring that this would be a, a novel and extremely appropriate thing to do based on the fact that no such dialogue has ever happened yet. It's never been allowed to happen. And the Pediatric Endocrine Society could be on the cutting edge of, of you know, science and education by allowing such a forum to occur. It's de- it's just deaf. I, I get no no response whatsoever. um I have been cancelled in a in a grand rounds in Pennsylvania at a at a regional hospital at University of Pittsburgh Medical Center uh, because I am uh, labeled as a hater and a bigot because i I chose to present the side of the issue that the rest of the world believes in at this point in time that that affirmation is not it has many many harms to it that should be considered and so it's, it's very easy. They, we don't have the levers of power in our hands right now. We're working uh, you know, against a Goliath, and we don't want to give up. We're very dedicated to these children who definitely are passionately in need of care, and we want to give them the correct care.
0: Dr. Quentin Van Meter, we really appreciate your time and your commitment to these children and your courage in speaking out because uh, there's lots of evidence of how difficult that is. So really appreciate you being with us today.
8: Thank you very much for having me.
0: And just to remind you of the current other stories that we have covered this week, the American um, Academy of Pediatrics wouldn't even let exhibitors at their conference who were going to express a contrary view. And Dr. Van Meter there, of course, is expressing a contrary view, one that is uh, supported by actual science that all of his colleagues in Europe are learning yet. Uh, So much of the American medical establishment doesn't want to hear that story. That's the problem. So the theme of the day's program is silencing information that is inconvenient. Uh, And all of this just requires us to be courageous, to not back down even though it's hard. That's how we preserve our freedom. That's how we protect our children. And we'll continue doing that and look forward to talking to you about it tomorrow on Washington Watch.